Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Is it so much to ask for the NBA to schedule every week like this week? This has been wonderful. In every sense of the word, we had a seven-game Monday, we had a ten-game Tuesday, we're about to recap an eight-game Wednesday, we got six games tonight, nine on Friday, tomorrow, What Saturday I think might be nine also, I haven't looked that far ahead, Sunday's less, Sunday's only three, so, you know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows i suppose but man it's really nice to have a medium sized card to go over seemingly every day it doesn't give us that weird like oh my god i have to spend every waking moment trying to pour through 13 games feeling followed by wait now i do n- like nothing for a day that's no fun this is so much better I think there will probably be a little bit more of this now that the NFL is beginning to scale back. This is the uh, the final weekend, I believe, of the regular season. Or did they add another one? Might have added another one. I don't know. I don't follow the NFL. Regardless, the NFL playoffs are coming up, so most of those teams are about to go home. Uh, and then, obviously, those games are a big deal, but you don't have the the stuff all week long. So the NBA kind of then begins to take a little more of the center stage part of the proceedings, which I think for a lot of folks, they say that like the NBA season officially starts on Christmas Day for a lot of people. I never found that to be true, at least in looking at like how Twitter is at this time of year and uh, podcast interaction, things like that. This tends to be actually a very quiet time. Because everybody's with family, everybody's on vacation, nobody's doing their normal drives to and from work. You don't have your your alone time in an office to screw around on Twitter and mess with your fantasy team. You're usually, if you're anything like me, uh, dealing with childcare related activities, and then you're sort of like you're squeezing in other th- other stuff in between. All that to say, loop all the way back around. I really enjoy the fact that we have a handful of NBA NBA games every single night right now. It's way more fun. There's stuff to do every bo- every night, every morning, whatever it might be. Anyway, let's dive in. Oh, for, uh, hello, everybody. Hi, it's Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I'm Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris on Twitter. You guys know that already. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. SportsEthos.com. Ethos Fantasy BK. Hey, Ethos Fantasy BK is at 8,900 Twitter followers. What do you think? Do you think in the next day we can get them up over 9,000? That's actually a pretty heavy lift because I'm guessing most of you that listen to this pod actually have already followed that wonderful fantasy news feed. But if you haven't, it's Ethos Fantasy BK. And it's a must-follow, because not only do they get you all the news as it's breaking, but they get you recap news, which some of the other ones don't do. They don't do the, hey, how did this guy play, and what does it mean from a fantasy standpoint? Ethos Fantasy BK for basket, basket, should emphasize the right letter so you guys know what we're talking about here. Ethos Fantasy BK also 
citations. It's got analysis and, analysis and it's got sources on everything that comes down. So not only do you know the news, but you know who to follow on social media if you want to get it after that. All good things. All good things. Let's see if we can get them to 9,000 over the next day. You think we can do it? I, I don't know. I'm, I have pessimism. But maybe you guys can turn it into pleasant surprisism. Let's break down some of the card. Uh, Detroit and Orlando had themselves a battle midway through this ballgame. Mo Wagner with a furious shoulder check. And then he got popped in the back of the head. I think Hamadou Diallo or Killian Hayes, one of those two guys, came in and tried to whack Wagner in the back of the head. And uh, a bunch of guys got tossed. Diallo, Hayes, Wagner all got tossed from the ballgame. It was sort of teetering on blowout already. Orlando... Looked very tired in this ballgame. And frankly, they haven't looked all that great the last couple of games, for whatever reason. Uh, Lakers outplayed them. And now Detroit just spanked them. But again, like we talked about earlier this week, I really want this fantasy... I want us to focus on the things that have a fantasy delta involved. And in this ballgame, there were a couple. For one, uh, Wendell Carter Jr. did play in the back-to-back. I don't know what the minute breakdown would have been if Wagner didn't get ejected, but he only played 13 minutes before getting tossed. Wendell Carter Jr. played 24 and had a sort of a typical Wendellian type of line. 16 points, 8 boards, minimal defensive stuff. There's a lot to like about Wendell Carter's fantasy game, but there are a couple of things to really not like very much. As athletic as he is, and as decent, frankly, as a young basketball player is, he gets almost no steals and blocks for a big man, and that's extremely frustrating. Bull Bull, no delta for me on him. I, I really do still think that in 24, 25 minutes, he can sit right around that top 90 range. So, you know, if somebody's going to drop him, I think we can possibly squeeze something out of that. Uh, Cole Anthony, 8, 5, and 6. Inconsistency reigns supreme. Markel Fultz, 6, 7, and 9, with a steal on bad shooting numbers. Also fairly inconsistent. I'm sticking with my plot on those guys, which is I'm generally holding Markel Fultz in places. I find him extraordinarily difficult to start in a games cap format because you just never know when you're going to get the inefficient one and when you're going to get the big one. But they've they've been more often, at least for him, in the slightly better department. Not terrific, but slightly better. Uh, than that of Cole Anthony. And so for Fultz, he's been inside the top 100 last couple of weeks. Big steals numbers kind of powering that stuff, but that's part of what we were hoping for with him. On the Detroit side, Alec Burks went nuts. 10 for 11, shooting 6 of 6 at the foul line. He had 32 points on 11 shots. That's wild. Sadiq Bey had 28 off the bench. He also went crazy. It was a blowout, so uh, that did shape things a little bit in this ballgame, but not a lot of it. It wasn't all of it. I still don't think either of those guys makes the cut as a an everyday rest-of-season play. I do. What I said on a previous show this week was that I think Burks and Bay probably make your, your schedule stream discussion, which for Detroit, I don't think they have a good one here in the next... No, wait a minute. Maybe they do have like three and four starting on with these ball games. I don't, we might have missed it anyway. Uh, but I think they have a back-to-back coming up, so maybe that's a spot to take a plunge on one of those guys. Also, um, you know, with Diallo getting ejected and then Killian Hayes getting ejected, that did open things up a bit for the likes of Burks and Bay. They went to kind of different looks, and then Jaden Ivey having an inefficient ball game, they felt more comfortable, they being Dwayne Casey, uh, going to 
kind of a hot hand sort of deal. I'd say this is sort of a dumb win for Detroit, but, uh, I mean, they're at the bottom regardless. Pistons are 9-28. They have the worst record in the NBA, so they have a little bit of wiggle room. Hornets, second worst. Rockets, third worst. Then Spurs, uh, then Magic, who've been quietly playing actually a little bit better prior to the last couple. And then, good Lord, everyone, the Lakers. I don't know how the Lakers are going to tread water without Anthony Davis. They're trying, though. Phoenix, blown out. Whatever vibes, they had this brief stretch of good vibes after we all saw the offseason, the era of bad feelings in Phoenix, and then they went a few balls. They won games, and then the injuries set in, and they're bad on the road this year, which is not a great sign for a team that wants to make a deep playoff run. You have to be able to win a couple of road games. You can't just rely on a powerhouse home number. That's not. They're not the only team, for better or worse. I mean... Actually, a lot of the teams at the top of the West have struggled on the road. Uh, Grizzlies have struggled on the road. Uh, Suns, we just talked about. Mavs have struggled on the road. Jazz have struggled on the road. Warriors have been epically bad on the road. Worse than the Lakers. But no one can touch the Dubs at home for whatever reason. They're much better at home. Well, we'll get to that one in a little bit. Perhaps. <laughs> Anywho. Um... So on the Phoenix side, I am floored that Torrey Craig didn't do more with his time in this ballgame. And, and I know some of it was blowout stuff, so guys didn't get their full allotment of minutes. Mikel Bridges still played 40 for some reason. Uh, but right now they're just so thin that in this one, the bench unit came in, and they were, they were getting beat up just as bad as the starters were. And so Monty Williams was like, all right, what, like let's screw it. Let's see if we can run our guys into the floor a little bit. The good news there is that DeAndre Ayton, he's chugging. Mikael Bridges had a little bit of a better ball game. Chris Paul had a much better game. Shot better than 50% from the floor. That seems like that's the thing we're waiting on with him. I still feel like you can start Torrey Craig night to night, at least while both Shamit and Booker are out. Uh, Devin Booker out for four weeks. Shamit likely back much sooner than that. Uh, when he comes back, I, I don't know that I'm going to feel quite as confident on Craig. You might run Landry in the mix at that point. Although it seems like they prefer him coming off the bench. We'll see. There's a lot of we'll see here with the Suns. I think if you're in a Roto games cap format, you could pick up Shamit and kind of sit on him until he comes back. Uh, but Achilles stuff isn't great, so it could be another game or two. But prior to, to getting hurt, he had 13, 31, 15, and then 31 again. And he did 22 three-pointers in those four ball games. Now, that's not going to last. We know guys run hot and cold. But the shots are there with no Cam Johnson, no Devin Booker in, in particular on that Phoenix side. So uh, opportunity abounds, I suppose. I don't think Chris Paul wants to take 15 shots, frankly. Um, and Shamit's probably available in a lot of spots. So on the Roto side, give it at least a look, if nothing else. Rui Hachimura had 30 on 13 shots for the Wizards. We know enough about his fantasy game to know he, he tends to profile more as a points league leaning type of player. I'm not adding him in standard 9-cat formats. I am strongly considering a Daniel Gafford ad. Because if you want to be like, oh, well, Bradley Beal was out, so guys got to do more. Yeah, but that was mostly, uh, and this was a blowout too, so the starters forewent some of their shots for reserves. Most of that went to Rui. 
Hachimura soaked up a lot of the Bradley Beal stuff in this ball game. Gafford does it without needing to take shots. He only had seven field goal attempts, went for 14-8 and eight with three blocks. He's... The reason that he's even being considered is that we've, we know enough about Daniel Gafford to know that when he gets 22-ish minutes or so, he can actually get around that top 100 mark. He hasn't been consistently at 22 minutes, but it seems like they're beginning to trust him a little bit more. Was he in there to deal with DeAndre Ayton is the next question. We'll find out, frankly, tomorrow because they're in Orlando The Wizards are in Orlando tomorrow. The Magic don't have an imposing big man. So if Gafford still gets in there and racks up 24, 25 minutes, at that point, in my estimation, he's very much an ad. And frankly, at this point, I would consider doing it anyway because a 24-minute Daniel Gafford is a roto monster. It's like what you're seeing in this one. His fantasy profile is not that dissimilar from Walker Kessler. A lot of blocks, good field goal percent. Kessler probably a little better rebounder. Gafford a little better at the free throw line in general, although he's at, what, 60% this year? Typically up around 70. That's where he's been closer to 70 lately after kind of a you know low early, high 50s, low 60s start to his career. So we'll see if that levels up and kind of moves up towards the 70 mark. Uh, we talked about Monte Morris on Twitter yesterday as a guy that might have enough usage with Beal out. Bradley was a game-time decision for this one, so I, I'm thinking he'll probably be back for the next ball game or the one after that at the very latest. I don't like Monte Morris's fantasy game enough to make a big stink about adding and then dropping him in one day, so I'm going to just leave that one alone. Brooklyn beat Atlanta in a tight one. It's a weirdly slower ball game. I can't fully put my finger on it. Brooklyn, 12 turnovers. Atlanta only had three and still was unable to come away with the victory. Now, in, in Atlanta's defense, they didn't have a Trey Young, and they also didn't have Clint Capella, so they were playing shorthanded, and they got vastly outshot, 51-43%, to 43%, but, boy, did they put the hustle in on this one. I was wondering if A.J. Griffin might do some stuff with guys out. He was in the maybe pile for streamers. I feel very happy that he's stuck in the maybe pile because he stunk. Onyeka Okongwu, still a stream anytime Clint Capella is out. He gets better seemingly every time he has an opportunity this year. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich is a hold, and uh, yeah, nothing else really to go over there. On the Brooklyn side, three blocks for Royce O'Neal. We've been talking lately about how his defensive stats, rebounds, and assists have pretty much dried up. He got a little bit more of them in this ballgame. But some of that, again, was the competition, because Nick Claxton had six blocks, Durant had two Royce had three. TJ Warren had two blocks. Brooklyn blocked 13 shots in the ballgame. That's kind of crazy. Anyway, it led to some robust fantasy lines. Happy about that. Um, But, you know, you roll it all back together. TJ Warren, 26 minutes. We didn't really do anything with them. I'm going to keep stashing him in a couple of spots because 26 minutes should actually, in general, be enough for him. But, look, I mean, he's shaking off two years of rust here, so we can't expect gold every night. I can't advocate starting him, and I can't, frankly, advocate adding him in a head-to-head side either, which is what I said, I think, two days ago, because he's going to take back-to-backs off. So he's a guy you're squatting on in Roto. And then Royce O'Neal, I think, has slid back into that schedule stream zone. I know this is a slightly better defensive ball game, but the consistency just hasn't been there. 
Lakers had nothing in the tank on the second half of the back-to-back. You know, they actually defended relatively well early in the ballgame, but Miami had something like 17 second-chance points, and I think they outscored the Lakers by, like, 22 in points off turnovers. And, and... Unfortunately, on the Lakers side, if you if you kind of wipe that stuff out, this is a ball game that they really could have won because they only lost by 14. Now, again, we had that same like Lakers shave a few points off in garbage time thing going on. Uh, was not led this time by Kendrick Nunn, but the turnover differential was just obscene. Lakers had 24 turnovers and the Heat had five. I mean, that's a classic back-to-back, night-in-Miami kind of thing. Whether or not they went out on the town, the Lakers clearly didn't sleep very well. And there were, like, two Lakers that looked like they had their head even partly in the ballgame. Braun was one of them, who's been putting together some really nice ballgames lately. Uh, and Schroeder was sort of the other one. Honestly, I, I I thought Troy Brown should have played way more in this ballgame. It, it seemed like it took Darvin Ham until pretty late to give him the time he deserved because one of our favorite guys, Austin Reeves, he looked straight hungover in this ballgame. He was a mess. Just missing passes. I don't know, man. That one felt like it had Miami written all over it. Regardless, it does put a few things into perspective. A guy that comes off the bench and you're relying on efficiency, that's a tough pill to swallow and so for the Lakers right now I think you're going LeBron and Thomas Bryant and that's probably it I'll downgrade the rest of these guys yes including Russ outside of points leagues if you're in a points league it's a different story but nine cat there just there isn't even a third right now uh Pat Beverly is actually the closest to a third because he's warmed up over the last week but nah for the Heat, Jimmy Butler made his return, everybody does against the Lakers, and was incredible. 27-5-4 with six steals. Good lord, man. What an absolute monster of a per-game player that Jimmy Butler is. <whistles> Tenth in rank. He moves ahead of Tyrese Halliburton with this big one. But damn, if he can't stay on the floor. It's only 22 games for Jimmy at this point. Ah. Caleb Martin had a better ball game. He looked extra engaged against the Lakers. I think it was playing against LeBron. But this didn't change anything for me on the Heat. Oladipo, uh, he's really only valuable for defensive stats, so that, again, I think makes him more of a schedule stream type of play. Um, and so the rest of those guys, the 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 fringy ones, the Max Struces, the Caleb Martins, the Victor Oladipos, the Gabe Vincents, you can pretty much just leave those guys alone. Kyle Lowry was a late scratch, so you thought maybe that would have been a, created... A, Maybe a little bit more for Martin or Depot or Struess. It didn't. You can leave all that alone. Milwaukee blew a big lead late. Just totally ran out of gas. Giannis had some bad turnovers late in the ballgame. And it's weird to pick on Giannis on a 45-22 and 22 game. But he shot just 44% on 39 field goal attempts. Missed a truckload of free throws. Had five turnovers. And just, I mean, needs help. Bobby Portis, 20 points, but it took him 18 shots to get there. Brooke Lopez had probably one of the better lines of the night, but that wasn't enough either. No Drew Holiday, no Chris Middleton. Pat Connaughton was, had a few good ball games coming in, but this one was just lost. I thought we might have gotten something out of Cotton, Connaughton or, or Javon Carter with no Drew and no Middleton, but it just it didn't happen. Over on the Chicago side... Nothing. 
No deltas whatsoever. Don't talk to me about Andre Drummond. He actually did play relatively well in this ballgame, but he's not changing anything here. Vooch is the guy. Uh, and he, too, actually ended up with a pretty good line. Thank you, overtime. And a decent fourth quarter. But everything else remains the same for Chicago. Uh, let's keep moving. New Orleans, behind a robust late-game Zion takeover, finished off a comeback of their own. Larry Nance hurt his neck. This is the thing with Larry. You guys know how much I love Larry Nance Jr. I love his fantasy game. I love him as a human. He just seems like one of the nicest dudes in the NBA, but guy cannot stay healthy. This used to be the way Pat Beverly was, where you could just sort of like play him for a couple of weeks, and then when he got hurt, you just kick him to the curb for a while and then pick him back up three weeks later. Maybe that's the path here with Nance. You can drop. I give you full permission to drop. You don't have to hold through all these different injuries. Tries to play through one, ends up with another. It's not worth it. Uh, so with Nance out, and we already knew that, that Trey Murphy was going to have plenty to do, that means that JV is in for a really nice spot here in the short term again. Um, Jose Alvarado got pushed to anonymity with Trey and Zion and Dyson Daniels all coming back. Najee Marshall continued to start at shooting guard here. Uh, He's going to be close to fantasy startable. I think I'd rather utilize Najee in in more of the head-to-head streaming fashion as opposed to uh, cashing in a Roto Games cap. I think on the, the Minnesota side, we can, affi- we can officially say that Nas Reed is going to play enough to be used in all formats right now. Gobert fouled out in this ballgame, so yes, that did help because Rudy was actually playing well. Uh, and Or from a fantasy standpoint, at the very least. But uh, it looks like Nas Reed is going to get 20 minutes kind of regardless these days, at least as long as Cat is out and slow-mo is out. When, when Kyle Anderson comes back... I don't know if this sticks the way it, it currently stands. You might see uh, Mini go big, where it's weird to say Mini go big. Austin Rivers is the guy. He's going to lose out a bunch no matter how you slice this thing. I would hope that they find a way to continue to get Nas Reed playing time. I just don't know how you run a Nas Reed, get him in there a bunch with slow-mo, with Gobert, without Gobert. There's going to be a little bit of overlap, maybe. I mean, Nas has been so good in this this last little run here with no cat and no slow-mo that you at least have to add him. By the way, every time I say slow-mo, I, I want to call him shlomo, but perhaps I'm diving way too far into my old ancestry tree there. Uh, the short version is add Nas Reed, and we'll... I think the first day that Kyle Anderson comes back, we probably play it a little bit by ear, maybe even for a couple of ball games, and uh, see if Nas can, can keep it going at that point. Big thank you, as always, to our partners at Manscaped.com, ExpressVPN.com slash HoopBall, and Thrive Fantasy. ExpressVPN.com slash HoopBall is the special URL. Code is ethos at ThriveFantasy.com, and the code is ethos20 at Manscaped.com. That is the rapid-fire triple promo here, because I wanted to take a moment in the middle of the show to remind all of you guys that we continue to recruit here at Sports Ethos. If you want to break into the industry, this is the place to do it. We're looking for DFS and full-season fantasy experts in NBA, NFL, MLB, and hockey. And if you want to be a part of our sports betting division, you can bug me on that as well. Any and all of these things, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N 
B-E-S-B-R-I-S. That's the promo I wanted to get in your face. Okay, let's finish up the card. Excuse me. <clears throat> A frog in my throat there. Weird. Kind of have my voice back these days. Didn't lingering effects, I suppose. Well, I mentioned earlier in the show that Golden State almost undefeated at home, and they remain almost undefeated at home. Utah had them by the short and curlies for a little bit. Warriors were able to come back uh, and then hold on with a five-point win late. Dante DiVincenzo, who continues to be a very reliable stream, had that strange zero-point big rebound, big assist ball game. but basically until Andrew Wiggins comes back. And now, by the way, Wiggins is being listed out due to illness instead of uh, injury, which means, I don't know, I would assume it means he's close. We're always reading tea leaves here a little bit. Uh, Once Wiggins returns, my guess would be that Anthony Lamb shifts back to the bench, so you probably still get starter DiVincenzo. uh, But with Klay Thompson coming back around, does that move Jordan Poole? Do they want him as the bench attack guy? It's hard to say. So my typical plan in situations like this is to just watch a game. When Wiggins comes back, see what he looks like. He probably won't play a full complement of minutes, so he won't get all the information right out of the shoot. But if he starts, and if Thompson's in there, which we presume he would be, and DiVincenzo moves to the bench, I don't know that I feel fully comfortable with that stream anymore. But that's the thing. We don't have to know in advance We can play it a little bit by ear, by eye, I suppose. I think I just think you don't have to. And look, when I when I talk about stuff like this on the podcast, I realize that longtime listeners, you guys have all had to kind of make the uh, mental adjustment because most of what I'm talking about is games cap. Would I start a guy in a games cap format league? So then, you know, I had a very, very reasonable question that popped up on Twitter that was like, what are you talking about? How are you picking up a guy and then not starting them? Well, there are a couple of leagues where that could be the case. Weekly leagues would be one. Games cap league is another. That's typically what I'm talking about here. Is someone good enough to use in a games cap format? For if you have DiVincenzo and Wiggins comes back, obviously in a head-to-head league, you leave him in there. Because you still, I think, want to hold to find out what his role is going to look like once Wiggins comes back. Now, once Wiggins and Steph are both back in there, I think you can feel pretty confident that DiVincenzo is not going to be above the cut line. But until that time, on the games cap side, you just throw him on your bench for a day. And head-to-head, you just take the lower production while you sort of set a mental clock. Set a mental timer that's like, look, I'm going to let this thing roll for a game or two with Wiggins back before I make any full decisions on it. Ty Jerome had a good ball game, but I'm not going to do anything about it. On the Utah side, old friend Kelly Olynyk returns. He actually had a pretty good ball game going until he, well, doinked two free throws late. Uh, I don't know, did that cost him the ball game? Probably not, but shooting 69% at the line overall almost definitely did play a large role. Uh, But good to see Olenek back in there. He played 26 minutes. That'll continue to trend up by eh, three, four minutes, more, you know, inching towards where he's been for most of the year. He's a start once again. Good to see Mike Conley once again getting a little bit more involved on the offensive side. 
He didn't make most of his shots, but he had the 10 assists. I like seeing him take 11 shots. That's a big one for me. Jared Vanderbilt, slightly better ball game. Didn't have his huge one. It's usually like two quiet ones, one big one. This was like two quiet ones, one medium one. So, I don't know. Maybe we get another medium one. Who knows? You kind of have to... So when Utah's losing, there's very much a when Utah's losing versus when Utah's winning thing going on with a lot of the guys on that club. And for the Jazz, they have leveled off. They're four and six in their last ten. They've fallen back near the 500 mark. Uh, do they? They're the nine seed right now, which is in the play-in. But if the whole thing comes apart at the seams, we'll see. They are, like a lot of teams in the Western Conference, a hell of a lot better at home than they are on the road, so maybe don't read too much into this road defeat. I've got people asking me what they should do with Colin Sexton. He's been a drop basically since the moment that anyone started coming back for this team. He's just not playing enough to be fantasy relevant. And then a much more reasonable question, which was, what do I do with Walker Kessler? And the answer is, hold on tight. Three blocks in 20 minutes. He's been a blockmeister over the last month. Uh, the free throws are concerning. You you kind of have to hope that he doesn't take too many on a game-to-game basis. Yes, Kelly Olynyk being back is going to chop a few minutes out from Walker. He was at 20 here after being more in the 23-24 range, while first Lowry and then Kelly were each out for Utah. Uh, but 20 is enough for Kessler. That's the beauty of it. He has the the Robert Williams, Nerlens Noel tail as old as time, big man who doesn't need all the minutes to hit fantasy value thing going on with his fantasy game. So you got to stick it out. I think, at least. I guess you don't have to listen to me. Uh, Malik Beasley is the other name I wanted to bring up on the Utah side because everybody, everything changed for Utah when Olenek came back. They're, they're very much a team where a lot of the parts are a bit interchangeable. Olenek is a big man, but he's a stretch big man. Markinen is a stretch big man. Vanderbilt and Kessler are kind of the not-so-stretchy big men, and, you know, that's why you see their minutes tend to add up to roughly the center minutes. Not always, but roughly. So then when someone like Olenek comes back and he's not necessarily just pulling from a big man bucket, it pushes other guys down. It pushes Markinen down to more small forward minutes and so on and so forth. A guy like Malik Beasley, who was getting a lot of his playing time at shooting guard and small forward... Now he's competing with Markinen and Clarkson and Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Sexton and just, like, add them all up. Sexton more the point guard, I believe. Uh, and that's just less for Beasley, especially if he's not playing well. They don't have to give him 30 minutes anymore, and they didn't. His fantasy game is way too similar to Tim Hardaway Jr.'s to say that 23 minutes is enough. We kind of saw this coming, but I think you can probably move on from Beasley. Last game from last night. This is really uh, a very interesting Sacramento back-to-back. The Kings and the Nuggets played each other twice at the same venue. In the first one, Denver came back from 20 down. In the second one, Sacramento came back from 20 down. It's wild. Both in regulation, both close ball games, both tipped the opposite direction. And I... My wife always asks me, why do you even watch the first half of a basketball game? I'm like, lots of stuff happens. And for the fantasy fantasy folks, we need to see that. But from the reality standpoint, I, I hate that sometimes that statement is right. Luckily, for fantasy purposes, there's plenty going on here. 
Uh, Kings had some of their starters that just weren't very good. So Malik Monk came in. He had one of his mega heater games. He's going to get added in a bunch of spots, and then he's going to get dropped a couple days later. One thing that I, that was interesting is that, first of all, Demonis Sabonis played. He took one game off for an avulsion fracture, and he was back, and he looked really good. We'll see how it all shakes out. We'll see if there's any impact on him going forward, but he looked damn good in this ballgame. Uh... Kevin Herter didn't play particularly well. He had some fouls. Keegan Murray didn't play particularly well because, you know, he's a rookie. Harrison Barnes didn't play very well. So other guys just got a shot. Trey Lyles got bonus playing time, which extremely useful for my 30-deep team because I started him this week thinking Sabonis would miss, I don't know, like a couple games, but he only missed one. Luckily, Lyles still did some stuff. No, he's not a 12-teamer. Uh... Who else saw? Well, we talked about Malik Monk. Davion Mitchell saw a bonus run in this ball game. None of those guys is ad worthy. It was very much a hot hand thing, uh, but it was good to see De'Aaron Fox finally have a more efficient ball game, uh, and then also very good to see Sabonis back after only one game off. Even if it hurts my thirty deep team for a couple of days, that's great news for Demontis Sabonis. The Nuggets rested a bunch of guys and thought they might be able to get away with it, and almost did. If it weren't for you meddling kids, not quite. No Jamal Murray, no Aaron Gordon, no Bruce Brown. Uh, two of those are injury-related. One of those was rest day-related. You guys can play the uh, three-card Monte to figure out which is which. Michael Porter Jr. did play on the back-to-back. Looked good. 19-7, three blocks, and four three-pointers. Uh, a lot to like about what we're seeing from MPJ here coming back from the heel injury. I have to admit, I was a little bit worried that this was something they were going to kind of baby him with, and uh, they very much haven't. Here's the thing about MPJ right now. Believe it or not, he's actually a little bit of a buy low at number 68 in 9-cat. And the reason I say that is because his free throw number is at 77.5% right now, and his field goal number is at 47%. And I do feel like some of the early season rust is still being reflected in those percentages. Now, what would it take to get him? I don't know. Like, if you could match 68 for 68. Like, his teammate Aaron Gordon is number 69. Gordon is very much a guy who's on the downslope. Not that I don't think he's going to be decent the rest of the way, but with all of his teammates healthy around him, he's just not going to have to do as much. And that's going to cost him. Because Gordon's been great. Shooting 61% from the field, Gordon is this year. Who else is in that range? Uh, well, you're not going to get Michael Porter Jr. for Kelly Olynyk, but you could try. Spencer Dinwiddie might be worth throwing out there. Maybe Buddy Heald. Feels like he's been on one of his little heaters lately. He's probably pushed up. He's due to, to tail off a little bit. Big Al, I love Big Al. Uh, but if you could get MPJ for Big Al, I would do it. Marcus Smart, he's around number 80. That seems to be where he hangs out if you could get MPJ for him. Maybe I'll do some stuff on Twitter for that one. See if I can remember it. My brain, my mouth is works faster than my brain. Uh, let's see if we can figure out what MPJ, what people value him at. That'll be one of our discussion points. Bones, 20 points, 11 assists, but of course that's because there was no Jamal Murray. Or Bruce Brown. So he slid into the starting uh, lineup. Zeke Naji, 31 minutes, don't care. Uh, KCP, always better when he has gravity guys around him. We've talked about that a million times. KCP is better when the Nuggets are healthy. It's the darndest thing. He is a, a shimmering example of someone who actually sees his usage stay 
pretty much steady or even tick up ever so slightly when the best players are on the floor around him. Because when they are, he's open. When they're not, he's not open. And he's not going to shoot unless he's open. So you saw it yesterday, seven shots in 31 minutes. He probably gets more like eight. <laughs> it's the craziest thing. KCP is this this very, the Venn diagram, he's the dot that's way outside the circle. Because for almost everyone in the NBA, usage is value. But for KCP, well, I, there's actually another step to this little transitive equation. Usage is value. I think we can all agree on that. It's even the case for KCP. However, missing players for most of the NBA, like 99% of the NBA, missing teammates means more usage. For KCP, it doesn't. Go figure. Hey, guys, we got a a half-decent Thursday card coming up tonight. Do you guys miss when I did the nightly previews on the podcast? I never really know what makes the most sense just from an overall standpoint. I've I've been sort of pushing everyone over to social for that because I feel like we can do a better job of, of saying what we're looking for as news comes out through the day. I do the weekend preview on Friday show because we're not going to be around until the next day to go over any of that stuff. But if you guys would like, I'm happy to add that. Uh, I'll try to I'll do a little uh, straw poll for that on Twitter as well. So we got a couple things we need to do over on social media. MPJ and figuring out uh, podcast segments are probably the two pieces of that puzzle. Um, no particularly large pieces of uh, injury news this morning. That's, I guess, good. Jalen Brunson, a game-time decision. Uh, Devin Vassell getting a rest day. Keldon Johnson back from his rest day, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Andrew Wiggins still likely out, but that game isn't until tomorrow anyway. So that's it. Not much going on on the, the NBA news front. I guess it was just good to see Jimmy Butler come back, even if it was to thoroughly decimate my precious and terrible Lakers. All right. Have a great Thursday, everybody. We'll take it over to social at Dan Vespers over there. You know, I'll bug you. I'll talk to you. I'm really trying to do a better job lately of getting to folks on Twitter. I know I still miss like 50% of the stuff that comes in, but it's a lot these days. I am grateful for all of it because it makes me feel more important than I am, but I also can't quite uh, get to all of it. Okay, for real this time. See you tomorrow, everybody.